Welcome to Kingdom Perspectives. My name is Corey Turner. It's my privilege to host you for today's podcast. Kingdom Perspectives is all about getting God's perspective on life, culture, and ministry. In a world of increasing noise and deception, we need to cut through the confusion and complexity of the times we live in and get God's perspective on our lives. I encourage you to click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, if you'd like to leave us a brief review, that would be really helpful to us. Well, I'm excited to introduce a great friend of mine, Richard Kavakian. Uh, pastor Richard is the senior pastor of Lifehouse Church, along with his wife, Helen. And uh, Richard and Helen and both my wife and I have been friends for many years. And uh, Richard has spoken into my world and our ministry, as well as him opening up his platform to speak into their world. Richard, it's great to have you. How are you doing? I am excited to be here today and just watching you behind that microphone. I'm feeling intimidated, mate. You are a pro. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Mate, don't get too impressed. There's I'm, not too much I, under the bonnet here. Hey, listeners, if you could see what I'm seeing here, you would be just as intimidated as I am. It's great to be with you guys. And uh, I hope I can say something that actually helps someone today. I'm sure you will. Maybe for those who are not familiar with Lifehouse Church, um, because they need to be, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey, um, both maybe uh, uh, the the circumstances around you getting saved, and then some of your journey that has led you now to leading a church. Okay. What has happened? Well, I'm going to cut out all the boring bits. Yep. Um, but essentially, um, so raised in a mainline, you know, faith, uh, Christian yep. faith, and uh, but really for all intents and purposes, never went um, and wasn't really a part of anything. And uh, this young lady started working across the road from, my parents had like a milk bar convenience store type of thing. Yeah. And I had just literally dropped out of school and was just helping out there for a little while. And she built a friendship with me over two or three months. And then eventually she, um, and you know, they weren't God conversations or anything. They were just, just about life and whatever she was doing. And then eventually she just said, hey, um, do you do you believe in God? Wow. And the obvious answer for me um, was, yes, of, of course I do. And she said, and listen to this. She said, do you want to come to a God meeting? <laughs> and I think that's so clever because if she yeah. had said church, I yeah. would have said no. Yeah. Because what I was thinking yeah. church was, Your you know, hard pews and incense yeah. and all that. I mean, that's got nothing to do with life. In back then, that's what I was thinking, of course. And so I said, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd go to a God meeting. So she takes me to... Um, not too far away from here, actually, uh, La Trobe University wow. in Melbourne. And uh, it was just nothing I'd, I had ever seen. Very familiar to us now. Yeah. Um, but it was just a group of people who were there. And uh, the you know this guy was at the front talking about Jesus like I had never heard before. Wow. And what I mean by that is he was talking about him like he was real. <laughs> like, like, he actually, like he actually knew him. Yeah. And then he began to talk about the cross. And he began to cry. I'd never heard anyone talk about the cross of Jesus and cry. It was just a picture on the wall. It was something hanging around my neck, whatever it was. And I thought, is, is he, I've never heard anyone talk about, is Jesus real? Like, I believe in him, but yeah. is he, can you believe that? I believed in him, but I didn't believe he was real. I don't know how that yeah. all works. Yeah. But anyway, he, um, he gave an opportunity for people to give their life to Jesus. And I went to the front wow. and gave my life to Jesus. And, uh, and then I began to tell my friends about what I had done, and I couldn't believe the impact it was having on them. Wow. And I'm like, wow. Okay, so not only does this, did this work for me, but it's actually working for my friends as well. And it was probably around that time that I thought, 
I want to do this for the rest of my life. Powerful. I, I love this. Yeah. And it just simply started with that really simple question, hey, do you believe in God? Yeah. You know, and it was, yeah, I think I do. And, and, and off we went. Yeah, that's amazing. So fast forward now, however many years ago that was, but fast forward to now, when did you um, plant the church that you lead now? And tell us a bit about that journey of starting your humble beginnings through to what you have now, which is amazing. Sure. Um, so 2002 is when we started. Um, so to just back up a little, so the church that that church that I, I found Jesus in, I stayed there for about 12 years. Um, then eventually we left that place, found ourselves in an ACC church where the leadership of that church was the complete opposite of the church that I was actually in. Right. Um, so the one that I got saved in was, you know, pretty pretty strong on control and you know right. all those okay. all those type of things. And you know, I don't want to get into that too much, I suppose. But yeah. but the next pastor was probably the the other way. Like, yep. every, like it was just like free for all. It was free for all. <laughs> and I thought, wow, okay, so I don't want that either. Yeah. Uh, so the man th- uh, that really eventually um, really helped me along my journey um, in really getting me across the line with understanding who Jesus is was that was that girl who invited me, her older brother, and right. his name is Robert. Yeah, and um, we eventually planted a church together. Wow! And um, and so we were meeting downstairs of that, you know, the church where it was a bit of a free for all. Yeah. Um, that church had like this downstairs dungeon, like we called it the dungeon. It was just this big open warehouse. Best place to plant a church. Yeah, and it was cold <laughs> and drafty and echoey and it was horrible. Concrete floors and hard, uh, yeah. you know, chairs that we just gathered from everywhere. And yeah, and uh, and you know what? We, we started a, an evangelistic meeting down there and it was me on guitar and this guy preaching. So I would just sing some songs and then he would... And, uh, you know, eventually 10 people got saved, 20, 30, 110 people found Jesus for the first time wow. in the dungeon. We called it the dungeon. Wow. But the sad thing is, was that these 110 people had... I mean, it's not sad, but the reality was, you know, they were... They, these were people that had done life a little bit tough. Yeah. So they had, you know, the tattoos and the no teeth yeah. and and yeah. The whatever, right? They had a huge past. A lot of them were gangsters. Wow. Um, so to try and integrate in, integrate those people into the church that was meeting literally upstairs yeah. was virtually impossible. Okay. So we eventually planted a church for these people. Right. And the church just kept growing and growing, and people were getting saved. And eventually, that church was established. And once it was established, um, it was always the, the plan that Helen and I would then plant our church out of that church. Okay. So our church was was seated in watching people find Jesus for the first time. Yeah. And that's the only reason we wanted to plant this church was yep. to help people find Jesus for the first time. So what is so evident in your life and in your ministry is your heart for people that are far away from God. And one of the the key strengths that I see in your own life as as I've observed your ministry from a distance and up close in how you carry yourself is just this passion for evangelism. And um, and I think it's r- really uh, one of the strengths of your church and of your ministry. And I've told people far and wide about, you know, how God has used you and your church to impact lost people, people who are far away from Jesus. Can you share with us uh, obviously, the early beginnings have helped shape some of your thinking around evangelism. H- how have you cultivated uh, or kept that heart for the lost or and cultivated a culture of evangelism in the life of the church that has resulted in so many people 
getting saved and who really are first time or first generation believers in the life of your church? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I've got a lot to say about it. I'm going to try not to. Okay? I'm going to try and keep this punchy and short. Um, without being disrespectful to the role of a pastor, which I am, Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I wanted to plant a church because I wanted to be a pastor of a church. Yeah. That you know, and I, I suppose I'm learning more and more about what that actually even means. You know, um, yeah. because I wasn't second generation, third generation Christian, raised up in churches. I've, so yeah. this whole role is new to me. Um, I suppose the honest truth is, I would not want to be a pastor of a church to simply open the doors and have Christians come and create a beautiful, friendly environment where people can raise their Christian children. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying it's evil. It's yeah. I think that's a wonderful thing. I'm just not up for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, that's not why I would want to plant a church. So we made a decision. Our church is not for Christians. Number one, because I don't want to take anybody off anyone who is really working hard to build a church and they've raised these people up and all of a sudden they leave them and come and join me um, that's just heartbreaking so I don't want to be the guy that breaks other pastors hearts number one number two there's a lot of people out there that need Jesus for the first time absolutely so we were Christian hostile when we started our church. And what I mean, I honestly, it. I'm not joking. The service would end, and when I would meet a Christian, I'm, I'm not proud of this. This was really wrong. But when someone would tell me that they're a Christian, I would just literally shake their hand and say, hey, I hope you've enjoyed today's service, and literally move on. Okay. And go find the person who was there for the first time and give all my time to that person. And they were usually messed up people who have just come from something or somewhere yeah. and experience something terrible that's why they're usually at church right yeah and then help those people say our church grew very quickly with just brand new christians now what i didn't realize was now we've got 75 so our church had at that point in time about 100 people in it now we've got 75 brand new christians unbelievable within about eight months and it's awesome, right? Like yeah. that's fantastic. Like that's wonderful. Except, <laughs> except there's a lot of swearing going on in that foyer. <laughs> there's a lot of pastor. That was a beep, beep, beep message, and and there's people smoking over there, and that guy's cracking onto the girls you over here. All this used to do it. There was a, there was a few there was a few tricky moments there, and yeah. I think it really hit me when I preached this message about uh, you know the demonic and oppression. And I said, hey, listen, if, if, if you're thinking there might be something that's on your life that's a little bit, you know, it's not just thoughts, it's demonic, it's, and you need prayer, why don't you come forward? Well, lo and behold, not joking, 80% of the church come forward. And I look across the front of the room, I'm thinking, okay, I'll just get some pastors out to, you know, because that's yeah. what I'm thinking, right? That's where I've come from. Yeah. I'll just get some godly people to come out and help me pray. And I look across the room, there's no one that knows how to pray about this stuff. Wow. They're all brand new Christians, yeah. right? And the Christians in the room were sort of the, you know, the, you know those guys that don't quite get it anyway. Yeah. Um, can I say that? Yeah, of course you can. can I, I think we need to back up a little bit. We need to take that out. <laughs> no, 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 keep going. I like and, it. And I'm thinking, uh, so it's literally myself and my wife. And I'm thinking, okay, this has got to stop. So from that day, I thought, no, I do need Christians, but Christians who get it. Yes. Christians who don't want to make it all about themselves. Yep. And what I, I, I didn't get much out of church today. Listen. It's not about you. I've got yeah. 75 brand new Christians here. Can you make it more about them? That's it. And so I changed my prayer life. I changed who I said hello to. Yep. Um, and so then we started to build you know, wow. some people who were coming through who were helping us to disciple these brand new people. And I would say to this day, 18 years later, that's, that's pretty much where our church sits. 
you want to join Lifehouse, please come. It's a great place. There's a youth ministry. There's a kids ministry. But if you're coming to church just to be a consumer, yeah. and now you know as well as I do, we've got them. We've, yep. the, we've got those people. But we're going to make it really hard for you to just sit there. Yep. And we're not going to congratulate you for doing that. We're going to yep. say to you, listen, the person beside you probably found Jesus for the first time today. Why don't you take them on a journey? Yeah. And uh, and that's that's the heartbeat of our church because I, I, let me go back to my original point. If all I'm trying to do is just build a church for people that already know Jesus, it's a lot of hard work. It is. It's a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but when I see people's lives change, I'm in this forever. Yeah. When I see someone have their sins lifted off their shoulders and then they, they discover there's a purpose to life. Yeah. And you see the smile on their face. Yeah. Oh, I'll do it forever if that's what we're doing. It's so powerful and it really speaks to um, the passion that motivates you, gets you up every day and gets you into your ministry. Um, evangelism in a Western context, um, lots of different people talk about it. Um, uh, not often a lot is done or effective. One of the things that I've really admired and appreciated about how you've gone about your ministry is you've been willing to adapt to, in order to get to that lost person and that person that is far away from God, but yet ha- maybe has some God questions. Um, one of the things that I've seen you do in the past is, you know, be it um, uh, dinners or dinner parties and being yeah. over. So maybe talk a little bit, a bit about some of the strategies that you've sort of pursued or embraced. Maybe they've worked, maybe they've not worked, but the, the, the um, willingness to adapt and be flexible and maybe reinvent a bit to in order to reach that lost person talk a little bit about that yeah. well so our church started with with 17 um believers who were a part of my small group at the previous church so the the pastor graciously said hey listen approach every one of them if they want to come with you that's fine so we've got the 17 christians and god bless them a lot of them are still with us um which is great and Amazing. their kids are now on staff and it's, yeah. it's beautiful so i've loved that journey um but what we did is we started this um it was just basically a Bible study, right? That's what we would call it today, but it wasn't a Bible study yeah. as we know them. The guy that I was working with, because I was just working a full-time job, he I jumped into the car. He turns to me. This is just a non-Christian guy. I've never met him before. And he says to me, now I hear you're a priest. That's what he says to me. Because on my CV, yeah. it actually said that I had done Bible college. Yeah. He goes, I hear you're a priest. And I said, well, I'm not priest, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yes, something along those lines. And then he just says to me, so why do bad things happen to good people? Straight up like that. And I'm wow. like, wow, here we go. All right. So, you know, I think I've got a good response for that question. And I think that's, that. if I could just say, you need to have a good response yeah, to really that question. You yeah. need, it might not be even theologically correct in the, you know, because what I'm saying is honestly, the correct answer is throw your hands up in the air and say, I've got no idea. Yeah. <laughs> right? Seriously, if you're going to try yeah. and... But, but I think we've got some yeah. response, don't we? Yeah. So I just shared what I knew. And we were driving to the other side of town, crossing over the Westgate Bridge, and that was only 10 minutes later. He was giving his life to Jesus. Wow. He gets on the phone and says to his wife, hey, babes, literally, hey, babes, I just gave my life to Jesus. And she says... What drugs are you taking? Stop it. What, what, why are you calling me? Anyway, she, she was getting concerned because she was a bit of a, uh, you know, she was a bit diehard in, right. the, in the faith she was brought up in. Right. So she was concerned. So they came to my house. I explained the gospel to her. She got saved. The next week, her sister who wanted to rescue her came over as well. She got saved. And then the husband of the sister came over and he got saved. 
within about a six-week period, there was 27 people in my lounge room who were all trying to rescue each other from wow. the cult. <laughs> And they all got converted. And they all got, and a lot, a lot of those people are still in our church today. Actually, that particular family have got, have got like eleven family members, as in, including partners and so yeah. forth. Um, and they all found Jesus. Wow! So, our church, that was the seed. Yeah. And I've got to tell you, it wasn't too much longer that I actually preached a message about you never, you never gonna, you're never gonna quite know who you're winning to Jesus. You yep. never, you, you don't know what God's gonna do with that person's life. Yeah. So that guy, that original guy, his name was Paul. I'm preaching that message, and Paul was in the crowd that day. And I said, Paul, why don't you come up on stage and just tell the crowd, who did you bring once you found He goes, oh, I told my wife, Mary. So Mary gets up on stage. I said, Mary, who did you tell? She said, oh, I told my sister, Ms. Michelle. So, so anyway, can you see what's going on here? Yep. By the end of that illustration, there was 48 people standing on the stage. Wow. And the funny thing is, the 48th person who got up didn't even know Paul. <laughs> right? Profound, and if I was to do that today with that same guy, without a word of a lie, I think there would be two hundred people standing on that stage. That is amazing, and I think that's just been the heartbeat of our church. That's just people get the sense that that's what we're doing. But what's going to shock you is that we don't get up, and I'd love to answer this for you. Yeah, we don't get up and actually bang on about evangelism at Lifehouse. Wow. We actually don't bang on about the lost sheep that's left and the lost coin. We do from time to time. That's not how we get people saved, though, in our church. Okay. Really good. So now leaders and pastors and different people are listening. They're going, okay, how do you actually go about it then? So what we would do is we encourage two things in our church. Number one, and this is what Jesus did. Jesus would say, go and tell people what I have done for you. The reason why 93% of Christians never share their story, which is the current stat, 93% of people never bring someone to Christ, is because they feel ill-equipped. Yep. And that's the devil's strategy, right? Yeah. He wants you to, if I can't answer how the universe was created or why bad things happen to good people, then I should not say anything. And that's that's the lie. What all we need to do is tell people what Jesus has done for us. And so really we just good. tell our people, has, has he helped your anger? Yes, tell as many people as you can that you used to have an anger problem, but now Jesus has stopped that in your life. Wow. Number one, you're going to speak with conviction when you tell people yep. that. Number two, when people say, yeah, but I don't even believe in God, you can say, I know that, but I'm going to tell you, he changed my life. Yeah. So it's not an argument, it's an experience. Really so good. we say, stay away from the argument, talk about your experience. Really good. Even say things like, I don't even know how he did it. <laughs> But he did. My marriage was terrible, but now it's awesome. I don't even know how it happened. People can't argue with that. Yeah. Um, and so we tell people to do that. That's usually enough to get someone in the building. Right. Right. They don't. They, by the time they get to the building, they're not saved, but they're interested. Yeah. Then this is the next strategy. We partner with our people where we say, our goal at the end of every service is that you would say, I should have brought Billy today. Why didn't I bring Billy today? That message, that song, yep. the way that they made us laugh, that example that guy gave or that woman gave, oh man, Billy needed to hear that today. Now, Billy is some friend that's doing it tough. Yep. Our goal at the end of every service is that our people think, why didn't I bring Sally today? Why didn't I bring Lucy? Why didn't I bring Harry? Yep. The church I got saved in, 
most of the time I was saying, I was so, I'm so glad <laughs> I didn't bring Bill today. Imagine I had brought Bill today. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, yeah, seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm right? And I'm not here to, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not pulling, good. I'm just being really straight. Yeah. I'm sure some people that are listening right now wouldn't be overly confident bringing people to yeah. the church that they're a part of. Yeah. Right. Uh, and some people are. And I, my prayer is that I wanted to be the guy and run a church that people would feel on any given Sunday, you can bring someone who doesn't know Jesus and we're not going to embarrass you. Yeah. We're not going to have cringe moments. Yeah. But we're going to preach the truth. And people think that you can't do all of that and preach the truth at the same time. Yeah. I think you can, but you just need to take the long way around. Yeah, okay. And, um, and so that's our goal. Yeah. So every week, so when I go back to thinking about this guy, Paul, the messages that I was preaching about, he's like, oh, man, my cousin needs to hear that. So the next week, the cousin was sitting there. Wow. And the goal is, like just when you go to a restaurant, you've had a great piece of chicken. Yeah. And then you think, oh, I need to bring my friend who loves chicken here. And then the next week, they, and it's like, no, chicken's not even on the menu. Yeah. Or it, or they've completely changed the menu and you're so disappointed now. Yeah. So the the goal for us was that we we, we would make you proud of us. Okay. Wow. Every week, we're going to make you proud yeah. that you can bring a friend here. That's powerful. Yeah. I just, um, it's so simple and yet it's it's so profound. And, and often it's those simple things about just sharing what has Jesus done for you that I, I do think that we overlook. And, um, and I'm just thinking that through, you know, for my own life, you know, scriptures talk about give a reason for the hope that you have. Yeah. What's your reason? Um, and so one of the things that I've seen you really strong at is building culture. Um, and and that that can be applied to lots of different areas, evangelism, leadership. Yeah. Obviously, there's an aspect to evangelism where part of this is, I would say a, a, a gift or a grace that's on your life that God's anointed you with by His Spirit, but also it comes back to your heart and your heart for people and God's heart for people. Um, but there are also, in what you've shared, some specific things that you've done or that you did in creating a culture. Maybe for some leaders and pastors who are listening to this, even beyond just the whole dynamic of evangelism, what are some of those key strategies or things that maybe you might do it intuitively that you've observed in other ministries that really works for you in terms of if you want to see a culture of generosity, uh, a culture of honor, whatever it may be, how, how do you go about building that as a leader from your perspective? Look, that's a great question because I would say that initially I didn't know anything about culture. Honestly, I didn't even use the word. Yeah. Um, but we were building culture. That's the funny thing. We yeah. actually were building culture, but I didn't quite know that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, if somebody was to say to me, what would you do differently at Lifehouse? I would say I would build culture intentionally. Okay. Um, right from the outset. And uh, so I think what we did by accident that now we do on purpose, if yeah. I can put it that way, yeah, good. is to really honor what you want. Yep. You've got to honor what you want. And I hear a lot of people who, they just bang on about what they don't want. And so the people are left confused, like, okay, we know you don't want us to be late. We get it. Right. <laughs> right. But that's not the problem. Yeah. How about, hey, guys, let's have a culture of honor where we honor God. And one of the greatest ways we could do that is to honor him with our time. Yeah. And, you know, if, if Michael Jackson, back in the day, it was Michael Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. So if Michael Jackson was going to be here, you guys would be right up the front. Now, who wants a, who, who goes online to buy a concert for a ticket, a ticket for a concert, should I say, 
and then choose the back row. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if every ticket was the same price, yeah. who would choose the, the back? And, and everybody would laugh. Ha, ha, ha. It's so true. So why would, why, do we, why would we choose the back row at church? Yeah. Somebody far more important than Justin Bieber or Michael Jackson is, is here every Sunday. Yeah. Why, why aren't we fighting for the front? So I used to say things like that, but I didn't realize I was actually building building culture a culture and i would say that we do have what we call a front row culture where people feel like it's just yeah why wouldn't you want to be at the front yeah and um so i would say you need to honor what you want so talk about the people that are doing what you love yeah and what you think is important and honor them but you've got to be careful because sometimes a little bit of the joseph thing can happen where if you honor somebody too much all the brothers want to kill him yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, yeah now we've had enough about hearing about brother so and so. Yeah, so you've got to do it carefully so that it doesn't look like you know. Okay, yeah. really good. So you're talking about in the context of say even a service, how you would shape culture in, in your language, examples. What about when it comes to say discipleship one on one? Because we're in a COVID season at the moment of yeah, restrictions, correct. and fortunately, as people begin to hear this. Um, podcast, uh, we're starting to see an, a, a slight easing of that, which is music to our ears, yes, Pastor it is. Richard. It is. Um, we're starting to get a little bit of a heart flutter. Yep. Um, however, in a COVID season where now over three months, we're not gathering together on Sundays. Things have moved online. Um, and I know for some pastors and leaders, this has been a, it's been a struggle for all of us, but it's been a real challenge in terms of the measuring sticks of the outcomes of you know how do we actually know that we're winning um when we don't have a corporate gathering anymore beyond the corporate gathering how do you how have you gone about building culture when it comes to the issue of discipleship and getting into people's lives life on life right um once again someone asked me i was in germany actually we were just talking about germany before someone said to me what would you do uh differently planting your church again yeah. and I said um, although we were really focused on evangelism and I think that's wonderful because it's the first part of go yeah the yeah. go that's the go part yeah probably took us a while to do the make and make <laughs> disciples part we sort of we, we just sort of let that go yeah. for a little yeah. while yeah um, because you know we were just very busy with the go part yeah. and um, the only I'll tell you what I would do differently and I, I, I would say this to any pastor any leader any lo, uh, small group leader worship pastor who whatever this is the question I would now ask who's your Peter James and John really good who's your Peter James and John because Jesus wasn't overly um, you know he, he, he loved the crowds but he wasn't overly pleased with the crowds at the same <laughs> time it didn't seem like they were his focus at all yeah but yet we can easily be enamored with the crowd. Yeah. And so I would say, who's your Peter, James, and John? And so I've just had two phone calls today from two of my staff members, and their biggest concern is discipleship, which is great to hear from them. Yeah. And so I would, you know, in this COVID time, I would just say, okay, so we can't have crowds, but what makes us think that that's the most important thing anyway? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we love them. Yeah. You know, it's great to preach it's to preachers. a crowd, <laughs> but it's not what we're called nah. to. It doesn't say go and make a crowd. It says go and make disciples, and I think discipleship happens up close and very personal. Yeah, and uh, and so I would say to everyone that's listening right now, if you're a leader in any way, shape, or form, you got to look around. You're speaking to a pastor just yesterday. He said one of the best pieces of advice you ever gave me, ever, and I've given him a lot, was to find my Peter, James, and John. Yeah, you know, in other words, who are the people that you honestly feel from God? God has called you to help them, and I, I like this part. Just get them to your level. Yeah. 
You can't take them further than you. That's yeah, the that's honest it. truth. But can you at least drag them up to what you know, the commitments you have made, the sacrifices you have made, mistakes you have made, yeah. at least help them get to your level. And then wherever God takes them from from there, that's, that's just a, a grace from God. And it's beautiful. So helpful. Yeah. Really, really good. So would you say um, that, let, let's talk about your greatest lesson learnt in ministry. Would you say that, would reflect that the Peter James and John principle, or the, or is there something else other than that? You say this is the greatest lesson that I've learnt in ministry over the last twenty thirty years. Yeah, I, I would say the greatest thing that I have um, experienced is the, I suppose the greatest joy is, is not necessarily seeing someone's hand go up. Yep. Because as you and I know, sometimes they put their hand up and they don't even last twenty minutes. Yep. Right, and that's a shame, and we we pray against that. But that's not really the joy. I mean, it's a part of the joy, but yeah, it is totally. the making of the, It seemed like Jesus, although he was preaching to all the crowds and seeing thousands of people, you know, see his miracles. It seemed like when he said, Father, I've, I've, I've done my job, it was actually referring to the 12. Yeah. Or the 11. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like that's what he was trying to do. Like yeah. that, that was it. Yeah. And then whatever happens out of that, which is the last I saw was 2.4 billion <laughs> Apparently it worked. It, apparently it worked, right? <laughs> so you know, I, and I've so I've learned to take my eyes off the crowd. I mean, I count like anyone else yeah. counts, and I, we love the crowds. But what I'm really counting is where are our disciples? Because if we want legacy, we want to plant churches. Yeah, you want you want a, a maturity in 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 the house. Totally, it's not the crowds. Yeah. It's the who can I count on? Who who actually behaves like Christ around here? Yeah. Who gets the whole mandate? Yeah. And so putting a lot of effort into that, but it takes time, takes yep. coffees. Yep. Um, takes, a lot of latte. Yeah, a lot of latte, a lot of conflict. Yep. You know, really. Speaking the truth in love. Correct, yep. Yep. Really good, mate. Um, so helpful. And I know that so much of what you've shared and even about your journey is so inspiring to everyone, myself included, uh, but everyone who's listening today. Um, maybe just a few rapid fire questions. Sure. Firstly, um, what book are you reading at the moment? Um, the Patrick, how do you pronounce his last name? Lencioni. Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni, The Advantage, which I think is a few years old, but I was it was recommended to me. And uh, I've really enjoyed it for... Just a couple of reasons. One, he really um, he, he he bursts bursts the bubble that the touchy feely type of leadership uh, in the corporate space is unwanted, yep, um, and inappropriate. Yep. And he and he sort of puts puts a hole in that theory. Yep. And uh, and what he's saying is, no, people do need a bit of touch. They do need it sometimes to hug things out. Yep. But he also talks about conflict. How conflicts are a good thing amongst team. I don't know yeah. whether you've read it, but yeah, I have. I've, I've, when I run a team meeting, I, I don't like conflict with my staff. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to keep everything really cool and smooth, and everyone to say, "Gee, that was a nice meeting." Um, but that's apparently not the way it works. Yeah. And so you got to almost inspire people to say, "Come on, speak up." If you don't agree, tell us right now. Yeah. Which can create conflict. Yeah. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, There's good lots book. of profound insights in there, and I've learned a lot and applied a lot even here at Numa Church. One of the things I love uh, is just the emphasis on clarity as well. How do we create clarity? How do we over-communicate clarity? How do we reinforce that in all of the systems that an organization embraces? Fantastic book. Recommend it for people out there who haven't read that. Um, here's a big one. Um if you only had three breaths left in you, you got your family, friends, key people in your world gathered around you, and your last three breaths, you had three statements that you can make that bring a summary, that bring a focus to your life and to what it's all about, 
if you could only say three things, what would you say? Um, well, besides the obvious, you know, yeah, love God, besides, love people, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, all, all of those things, you would think that those things would be pretty obvious anyway. Yeah. I think um, I, I would spend the th- those three comments, um, I would actually spend use them all into one statement to say remember eternity is racing towards you wow yeah that's powerful yeah not, not many people are thinking about eternity <coughs> excuse yeah. me not um, a lot of people's focus is about this life like as if it's going to go on forever and, and it's just yep. not it's just not <laughs> you know and yeah. if I if I read anything uh, uh, when I read the scriptures, Jesus is just like, "Hey, store up your treasure in heaven because that's that's where it really matters." Yeah, um, you know, love people because you're going to be reward, rewarded for it in eternity, forever. Everything just seems to be like we've got to use this little bit of time that we got here to set up for an eternity. It's powerful like, how you set just up said for that. It. Yeah, because it brings it home, and I just think it makes life sweeter actually, yeah. because you don't waste moments. You say what you need to say. Um, you, you you treat people well because you know what's coming. And I'm not even talking about judgment. I'm just yeah. saying it, it, it's, you know, it's, it, 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 it does bring a wisdom that King David teach me to number my days because it does bring about the wisdom that you need for today by thinking about eternity. Really, really good, mate. Yeah. So good. Well, Richard, I want to thank you so much for just sharing your heart, making yourself available to... It's a pleasure. Come and uh, share with us and all the listeners uh, on this podcast. Um, if people want to stay connected to you or to Lifehouse Church, how best would they do that? Uh, just contact Numa Church. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can pass on your details. Do you have a website? We sure do, lifehouse.global. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, anything that I can help with um, in regards to building some culture around evangelism, that would be my honor. Yeah. If we can just help you um, increase that in your church or in your home group, or whatever it is that you're running, I'd be honored to help. Brilliant. And I'd encourage everyone out there to um, avail themselves of that uh, invitation because I know that I've personally been enriched and benefited from in my own ministry and life, from hanging around Richard and Helen and the whole team and family at Lifehouse Church. I want to thank you for listening to Kingdom Perspectives today. I'm Corey Turner. It's been a privilege to host you. I encourage you to click on the subscribe button to automatically receive this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, if you'd like to leave us a brief review, that would be a great blessing to us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I invite you to join me again next week for another edition of Kingdom Perspectives as we get God's perspective on life, culture and ministry. And remember, in all that you do, seek first the kingdom of God. 